You're listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, episode 13. You're talking about putting your fuck parts in my head where my brain lives. You know, in nature, only a handful of creatures mate for life. But isn't that, like, cheating? We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why not? The safety word is banana. It is so refreshing to be with someone who likes to fuck outside the box. This is the Touch of Flavor podcast. Dating and relationship advice by kinksters for kinksters. Join us as we tackle BDSM, sex, non-monogamy, and how to build extraordinary relationships in an ordinary world. And now your hosts, Cassie and Rigel. So Cassie, why don't you tell me what we are talking about today? We're going to talk about the desire gap which is the difference in sex drives or sexual desire between two partners. Or, well, or more. Or more partners. Or more partners if you're in a group. So we we did a bunch of um, research and stuff on this and, and wrote up a whole thing on this back in like 20, good Lord, I don't even remember. This was back when we were doing a lot of, uh, a lot of like more sex stuff for vanilla couples kind of a thing. And we went into a whole, whole long thing about this. And lately it's been kind of a topic at the top of our minds again. So we decided to do a podcast episode on it. And why has it been on the top of our minds, Cassie? Um, Because there's, there's definitely a large desire gap in between the people in our triad. Uh, You and I, Rigel, uh, are fairly high sex drive people. Our partner is not. Um, and she's not like ashamed of that. Like she's kind of proud of it. She's like, I have less sexual desire. That's who I am and deal with it. So um, it's been on our minds because we're horny people, I think. Yeah. Well, so it's interesting. So, I mean, we've, and I see, I don't, I don't really have a lot of the background I think outside of the kink world to say like higher desire, lower desire. What I can say though, is that, you know, in the time that we've been, you know, doing open relationship stuff, which is what, 10 ish years now more, I think, I think we've had two partners who have been uh, kind of in the same kind of range that you and I am when it comes to desire and sexual compatibility, like in, in terms of how often they want to do stuff. Um, and you know, for the most part, there's been a a pretty significant difference and we've been fortunate enough that we've always had each other to, uh, vent on vent on. Yes. (laughs) Yes. But it can cause problems in relationships and it has caused, um, I mean, it's caused issues in our past relationships, particularly before we, we figured out, you know, kind of good ways to deal with it, I think. And I don't want to say it's caused problems in our current relationship, but it's definitely caused some discussion and some concessions, maybe. I don't know if concessions is the right word, but it, it's caused us to try and figure out how to go about things. Yeah. I don't, I think in our current relationship, we all have very good communication and it hasn't really been a problem, but we have been working on trying to make it something that's more workable for everybody that's involved. And we're not really unique. Like there has been studies that show that like a third of people have a desire gap with their partner. And 
I, I disagree with that. And I, I think we talked to Dr. Zahana about this a little bit. And, and I think that third, did, was the, did the third come from her? Or did she say 50? Um, I'd have I, to go back. But I don't remember what What I do said. remember is that when she said that, I asked her, you know, are those studies, when you say that, are those very significant differences? And she said, yes, those are differences to the point that it's causing relationship problems. Because I personally think that there are differences in every relationship in desire. And even, even in relationships that are very compatible in terms of sexual desire, like you and I, it still can be incompatible based on like, you know, the particular time, like who's not feeling well, who's exhausted, who's got stress going on. You know, I mean, so that that stuff can vary not only person to person, but also with the same people day to day. And yeah, I think that uh, that number is definitely based on the huge factors, like the huge, like we're going to break up and people like to ignore that there is desire gaps when things are okay, because then it makes them have to have those conversations of, well, I really want this more than you do, or I want it less. And it's easier to ignore. And what ends up happening is it just ends up festering underneath the surface rather than people actually having the conversations while things are still good before they get really bad. I mean, you need to look no farther than the rate of cheating in the world, I think, to kind of get an idea of how important, you know, sexual compatibility is. And I don't think it's just the cheating. I mean, look at married couples who uh, just bad talk their partner in either direction. Oh, he's a horn dog and a sleazeball, or she's, uh, what is the word that people like to call for women? Frigid. Frigid. That's the word I was looking for, frigid. So, um, even if there isn't cheating going on, there is harsh, nasty feelings. Bad feelings. Yeah. And I think that comes from the fact that we all want to be satisfied, no matter what it is, whether it's more sex or less sex. Or different types of sex. Or different types of sex. Uh, we want to be we want to be satisfied in our relationships. We don't want to be in relationships that, especially in our vanilla society of being married to somebody, you've committed to somebody for forever, if, if you're going by... Uh, supposedly. Yeah. Going, going, going by supposedly, uh, you're stuck with this person. You want to be satisfied. Everybody wants to be happy. So, I mean, I, so I think the main point of that, like I said, is just stop treating. And I don't think we do this as much in the kink world, but to stop treating sexual compatibility, like it's somehow different and less important than every other kind of compatibility, you know, that we look at when we're talking about relationships, whether it's emotional, whether it's the way we communicate, whether it's um, hobbies. I mean, any of those things, life goals, like sexual compatibility is just as important as those other things, sometimes more important, really, depending on the person and their needs. So talk about kind of the, the differences in desire that happen in relationships, right? Because I think you get two main things. You get differences in in the types of desire, and then you get differences just in the levels of desire, period, across relationships. So the first kind is spontaneous desire, which I fall in that category. Um, it is... <laughs> I inhaled my coffee. <coughs> oh. I find coffee helps me successfully podcast. Less so when I'm choking on it. Go ahead. It's more typical in male folk. Um, a lot of times people believe that, you know, if, to have spontaneous desire, you have to be a man. That's not true. Um, but it is demonstrated usually with male folk. 
And it's where you're like sitting in a chair and you're like, I'm horny. Like you don't have to really have anything triggering that sort of uh, response to wanting to have sex or wanting to do activities. You just randomly want to do it. Then there's responsive desire, which is usually more seen in women folk. Uh, it requires some motivation, some des- some some sort of workup to have desire. Um, sometimes it's you know some kind of romantic interaction, such as uh, starting the sexual activity, or it could be other things like taking a warm shower or whatever. But having to trigger that desire um, somehow. Yeah, I, I tend to define it like spontaneous as people who want to have sex now. And responsive desires, people who want to have sex once you start, like they, they don't think it like they're not thinking about sex. Like when you have spontane- like spontaneous desire, you're like sex, like you all the time. But when you have responsive desire, you're like, you know, blah, 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 and TV and work and blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, you get kissed and maybe you get rubbed a little bit. You're like, oh, sex, sex would be really nice. So I think you have, you know, you have to recognize those differences. I think it's also important to recognize that there are sometimes just differences and, and sometimes drastic differences just in the level of desire period. doesn't matter if it's spontaneous, doesn't matter if it's responsive. There's just rather drastic differences in the level of desire. Yeah. And I think over the course of, like I said, the course of the time that we've been dating, that's been the case for the majority of our relationships which is why I think this is such a great topic to talk on. And, you know, this isn't just a problem, by the way, for monogamous folk. This is a problem for poly folk as well, because, you know, I, I didn't get into it much before, but just talking about some of our history, the first time we really had a partner who was very sexually incompatible, we handled it somewhat poorly, um, not in a way of treating her like shit, but what would happen is, you know, because it got to a point where we were hanging out with her all the time. Like pretty much all our time was spent together. And we were still horny. And we were still horny, but we didn't want to make her feel left out by doing stuff without her or involved, especially since a lot of the time was spent at her house, I think was part of it too. Yeah. And, you know, so that actually caused us to neglect our needs, even as far as venting on each other, like you said earlier. And we wound up getting our needs not met. And and we wound up getting kind of resentful towards our other partner, even though she would have been perfectly fine with us going off and doing stuff on our own and taking care of those needs. Yeah. We were doing things like we have to run back to our house to get something just so that way we could get in the car, drive home and have sex at the house. Um, because we didn't want to like talk about it. We didn't want to feel like we were pressuring her or, um, we, d- we didn't want to make an awkward situation. So we kind of like sneakily got off to go have sex, which was not the majority of the time that we wanted to have sex, which made us kind of unhappy about the situation. Yeah. And I think it was problematic, I think, for everybody in the relationship, including her. I mean, like I said, us, because we weren't getting our needs met and, and her, because I think we were a little resentful towards her, which was completely not fair. Um, you know, so, so after that, we kind of figured out, hey, this is still something that has to be sorted out in poly relationships. And and since then, you know, we've been a lot better about trying to make sure that even if we have a partner who is lower desire, that we still <laughs> take care of our, get our own needs taken care of regardless of that. But this can flare up just so you're, you're aware, just as badly in poly relationships as it can in monogamous relationships. And it can flare up in a relationship where there wasn't 
sexual incompatibility before. Things in life change, people change. So being aware that it is something that isn't necessarily a stagnant thing is also important. Let's talk about that for a minute. So let's talk about, I mean, obviously there's a lot of things that can change, but you, you were just talking a little bit about spontaneous design and responsive desire and the differences between genders when it comes to those. Now, you being a person who have dated a significant number of both males and females, what has your experience been as far as differences in desire levels among genders? Is there a somewhat typical difference in desire levels? I mean, I think there is a difference between men and women. I think that there is... As a general rule. As a general rule. There's always exceptions, obviously. Yeah, as a general rule. Obviously, myself, I fall outside of that. Um, I've had partners who I would rank higher than most of the men that I've dated, um, who were female, who had super, super sex drives. You know who I'm talking about. Um, So... Uh, it's, it's, there is the general idea. I wouldn't say general rule, um, that yes, women tend to have less of a spontaneous than men do. And I would say as far as the amount of desire, I think that, I think that one's an interesting one. Um, I'm not so sure if it's completely a not, as much desire. I think there's probably a little bit of a lower desire with some women. Um, but I think sometimes it's also a difference in what kind of desire. Um, I think for women, they would be much more amped for things like getting their pussy eaten sometimes rather than just PIV, um, or, (laughs) or other sexual activities. Um, And so I think there's also sort of that gap in what kinds of desires. I think that there's, you're definitely going to have, and we're going to talk in a minute about how to deal with, how to deal with a gap that exists. And I think that you're definitely more likely to deal with a gap if somebody's needs aren't getting met during sex, right? Like if, if you're, if you're a woman and your needs aren't getting met during sex, I think it's much more likely that you're going to develop a gap where you're not really interested in sex in the first place. So I think that's an important part of it. But let, let's, so let's talk about one of the issues though, that, that always boggles my mind. And you and I have had conversations about this many times, right? Obviously there's always going to be somewhat of a gap, but you want to try and avoid winding up in a situation where that gap is very wide and is causing, you know, serious issues in a relationship, but it can be so hard to figure out what somebody's sex drive is going to look like before you're spending a significant amount of time with them. And this still just boggles my mind to a certain extent, especially when, you know, my, my experience has been with dating women, but especially with the everybody, you know, and men included, I think you have that bright, shiny phase at the beginning where things are more exciting and you're, you're doing more and you got your hands all over each other all the time. But with a lot of f- f- women and, and females, it seems like there's a very sharp drop off after a certain period of time. So how the fuck do you figure out sexual compatibility towards the beginning of relationships that you can try and prevent there from being very large gaps as you then have to deal with later? Please help me, Cassie. Tell me. Use your woman knowledge. So you know we've had these conversations. I haven't yet had a satisfactory answer. I'm hoping you can give me one on the podcast. And I'm not going to give you one. 
Um, so first off, yes, there is that bright, shiny phase where everybody wants to fuck. Men, women, whoever. It is uh, It is uh, definitely, it's obnoxious. I mean, it really is because you go into this situation and it's during that infatuation stage, that lusty infatuation stage where you just want to have your hands all over the person. And that stage is a lie, people. That sexual stage is a lie. And even with the people who are high sex drive, it's a lie. Just always be prepared to know it is a lie. And I think that is one of the key like things to it is realizing that that is not what sex is going to look like in your relationship. Like going into it with that realistic perspective of this is not what sex is going to look like in three months. So one, be realistic. I want to, when you're talking about being realistic though, before you don't, I want to say that the problem with being realistic though, is there's a wide gap in realistic. You have like, okay, like, you know, okay, it's, it's the beginning of the relationship. We're going to fuck every day. Right. Okay. And realistic, but the problem is realistic might range anywhere from, okay, you know, in six months, we're going to be fucking, you know, four or five times a week to in six months, we're going to be fucking once every other month. And you can still be fucking every day at the beginning of the relationship, but you have no idea how that's going to pan out. Set your expectations very low. I don't know if that's helpful for figuring out compatibility. I'm going to, I'm getting further. So in the beginning, in the beginning, it's going to be very hard to figure out compatibility. But one of the things I was going to say is do have sex because and I know all these like wait for marriage people are like, Rrr. I don't think we have any of them I don't listening think we have, to this show. Yeah, not to our show, but screw those people. They're insane. Okay. So <laughs> first of all, have sex. Um, if you're in a situation and you're dating somebody in the first couple of months and you're only seeing them once a week, twice a week, you're only seeing them occasionally and how much sex you're having is probably not the... The percentage of the time that you're having yes. sex. I understand exactly what yes. you're saying. So You may be having sex 100% of the time, but that may only be once or twice a week. Yes, and that might actually be what their sex drive is. So when you start spending... I think that's still high. If you're at the beginning of a relationship, it's always high. It's always higher. But what I'm saying is that as you're progressing... Um, so start paying attention as you're adding time in, how is this sexual thing working? And as I said, in the very beginning, just expect that it's going to be a lie. There really is not a hard, fast way to know what someone's sex drive is until you've put time in and until you have had sex and you're spending time with that person and really seeing how you interact. Now, there is a few things that you can be helpful. But that's kind of the catch-22. That's kind of the catch-22 of the whole thing, right? Is that you want to be with somebody who's sexually compatible, but it's almost impossible to tell up front if they're sexually compatible. And and that's two reasons. A, it's the bright, shiny effect. But I think also on a lot of people's part, there is a... I gotcha. A decision, consciously or not consciously, to portray themselves as being more sexual because you know, that's what people want. You know what I mean? But again, then you're kind of fostering that incompatibility. So if you are one of those lower sex drive people, right? Obviously you're going to 
you're going to have more sex up front just because, you know, but for the love of God, like do everybody involved the favor and don't sit and talk about how much sex you love to have and this, that, and the other. Well, no, in all seriousness, because it, it, it's hard enough to figure out compatibility to begin with and you're making it more difficult. Yeah. Um, that was going to be one of the things that I was Go going ahead. to talk Sorry, about. I just have to. <laughs> so one of the things I was going to say is if you are a low sex drive person and you know you are, and most likely, honey, you know you are. Like, you have had relationships, you know how much you masturbate, you know what your sex drive is. And if you know that you're a low sex drive person, be honest about it. And it might actually be even helpful in the beginning stages of being like, I know right now I can't keep my hands off of you because we're in that bright, shiny phase, but I have, you know, this is how much sex I really realistically have in my life. This is really what my desire looks like. And having that honest conversation, not on your first date, not on your second date, but maybe a month into a relationship when you're actually seeing somebody over and over again or two months in to explain that this might not be what sex is going to look like with you forever. Um, The other thing is as far as kind of like scoping out your partners, um, if you know your partners before you date them, that can be helpful. Like if you know them in the kink community as a slut, and I'm not saying that in a negative, I'm saying that as a positive sluts are awesome. But if you know them as- Sluts are just people who know what they like. Yes, sluts are just people who know what they like. But if you know them as someone who is a little more on the, you know, I like to get jiggy with it constantly, um, most likely they're someone who's going to have a higher sex drive. Um, So there are some things that you can do as far as trying to kind of screen your partners. But if you're meeting somebody that you haven't really had a lot of interaction with, don't know a lot about, um, the beginning phase is not always clear. And what you can do as, you know, either partner is be honest about what your sex drive is. So it's funny that you say that about like knowing, you know, knowing people from, and I think it's, I think it's important to realize that you are, and this has been kind of a hard, hard realization for me, but that you are not special when it comes to that. Right. And, and, you know, because I think that when we tend to be newer to this whole game, especially of non-monogamy, we're kind of like, okay, but maybe they have a low sex drive because nobody's really taking care of them sexually. (laughs) And if I'm just to take care of them sexually, they're going, well, no, it really took me a long time to figure out that like, if people were getting fucked good, they still wouldn't necessarily want as much sex as me. It it took me a while to figure that out. You're sitting here laughing at me because you know it, because we've had discussion because, because I have a higher sex drive and I've been with you and, you know, and, and, uh, in our relationships, we've been fortunate enough to have some people who are compatible that it's just hard for me to conceive that people just wouldn't want sex if the sex was good. So I think that's one thing. And it's funny because when you were saying how like, you know, how people are is how they're going to be. We were having a conversation recently with our partner and one of her friends and, and our partner was talking about how she isn't having that much sex. And her friend was like, I'm sure it's you. Like I've known you for years and I'm almost certain that it's you. And, you know, but people, that's what I'm saying is, is exactly what you said, which is you're going to eventually granted if, if, yeah, if, if, if you were, the reason you weren't having sex in your past relationships is because the sex was really bad. Right. 
okay, maybe, you know, if you're with somebody who's, who's taking better care of you, you're going to, but as a general rule, eventually you're going to revert back to that mean of this is how much you tend to have sex in relationships. Yeah. And I always found this conversation with you to be hilarious. That's because you were a lot more sexually experienced than me. Yes. And you know, no offense, but I also saw it as almost like an arrogance thing. Like if I was able to give them good sex, they will like it. And they'll want more of it. And for me, I would sit there and be like, no, that's not actually the case. But it wasn't, it's not, it's, it wasn't arrogant so much as just a complete inability to conceive of why people wouldn't want to have sex if it was good sex. Well, I'm not saying like intentional arrogance. I think it's more of from your perspective, because you're that more desiring partner and the more spontaneous desire partner, you see sex as something that why wouldn't you want it? Yes, and I if it was good, why would you not want it? I don't understand. I still don't understand. <laughs> so, and that's and that's the thing is you have to come to a place with your partners of understanding that you may not understand where they're coming from as I'm far 90% as... 90% sure our partner doesn't understand where we're coming from. No. She thinks we're crazy. Yeah, she thinks we're like horn dogs that are like, you know, got like abducted by nymphs or something. Like we have some weird sexual spell on us. Uh, but coming to the realization that you might not understand where your partner is coming from and that it's okay. It's okay. But so what are some of the things you can do to scope it out before? And because this is another discussion that we've had several times, like, oh my God, how can we figure this out? Like to scope out beforehand, like maybe if you are I think if you are the lower sex partner, I mean, I don't know if you need to scope it out as much. I'm, I'm, I'm disagreeing with you. Go ahead. Then disagree. Um, no, because here's the thing, especially when you go into those typical gender ideals, women expect that men are going to have a high sex drive that no matter what, they're going to be horny little dogs. And that's not true. Men are a gamut of, um, you know, anywhere from, I had a guy who I dated who I was like, I don't understand why you don't want to have sex. Like I didn't understand it. And really where I was coming from, cause I was younger was you're a dude, you're supposed to want to fuck. Like that's where it's supposed to be. So really that's not true because the assumption is if I am a woman trying to date a man, this man is going to want to fuck me. And that's not necessarily true. You might want to scope out somebody who, especially if you're the lower desiring partner, who might be at the lower end of that that spectrum versus somebody who is at the very high end of that spectrum. So I think it is just as important to be aware and to try to figure that out up front as it is somebody who has a high desire and is looking for someone who's going to want to who's going to be compatible with you. Okay. But what are some things? that you can look for since, since we're, we're admitting that drives aren't the same at the beginning. What are some things that you can look for to kind of indicate where a partner is going to land eventually? I know one of the big ones you and I have talked about, I mean, the, the two big ones that you and I have talked about is, is, you know, either knowing them or talking to like, you know, their partners or their friends or things like that about how they usually fall. And the second thing is, do they masturbate? Yeah. I think if, if, Uh, that is one of the things that I use as an indicator is if you don't ever please yourself when you're single, then most likely you're not really that interested in being pleased while you are 
in a relationship. The amount of spontaneous desire or the amount of horniness in a person is still reflected when you're a single person as far as wanting to do stuff with yourself. Like if I was single, I would masturbate a lot because I would need it. And when I've been single, I've masturbated a lot. It kind of helps the safety of everybody around you that I'm sure, but <laughs> and I, and I will, that, that's held very true. So like the first, the I think the partner that we were talking about earlier where, you know, she had a, a lower sex drive and it wound up, we didn't handle it particularly well. I think one of the first things that you saw as a warning was when you went there and she didn't have any sex toys. Yep. And Cassie's like, where are your sex toys? She's like, I don't masturbate. And Cassie's kind of like, fuck. Yep. I was like, oh no, this is a person with a lower sex drive. Um, so that can be an indicator. Um, as I said before, your interactions with them, especially if you're in a kink community or a poly community or a swing community, um, seeing their interactions prior, um, can be very helpful. Um, so, I mean, those are, those are some good indicators. Um, again, that's not necessarily going to be the easiest things to be able to detect upfront. Uh, but keep your eyes open and on your part, be honest. And that'll hopefully allow your partner to be honest about themselves as well. So I want to move on to how you can deal with uh, uh, desire gaps in a relationship. You know, I, w- I want to add one more thing that I think I think is is can be kind of important for people on the lower end of the sex drive scale to understand, which is for people like you or me, you know, it, it isn't just our, our need for sex in our relationships isn't just about like sex or about orgasming, right? Like, cause if that was the case, we could just go masturbate. I mean, granted it wouldn't be nearly as good, but we could just go masturbate. It, it, it's, it's, you know, but I think for a lot of people on the higher end of the sex drive scale, like it, it's, it's not just about sex. Like it's a sign of like how healthy your relationship is. It's a way of connecting. It's for me, it plays into having sex plays into my relationships a lot more than just the sex and how I feel about my relationships and how I feel about that person. And I think that varies from person to person as far as, um, and I wouldn't necessarily just categorize it in with people who are in higher sex drives or lower sex drives. I think that there's also that whole idea of what is sex to you? Like, what does it represent? Well, but the thing is sex to me can just be, fucking somebody like, I I mean that, that works just fine. But when I'm in a relationship and I'm not having sex, I do feel less connected to that person. And less so, so even though I can just go out and fuck somebody, it still can affect the way that I feel about a relationship that I'm in. And I I don't, I think that just can be important for people to understand that it's not always, because I think sometimes like talking to our partner who is on the lower end, she's like, it's, it's just sex. Like basically, you know, it, it's just sex. It's like, but it's not, it's not just sex to me. Right. It's, it's other things. It's other things as well. Well, that was one of the discussions I was going to have while we were talking about sort of like dealing with the differences in compatibility. Okay. Well then why don't we move on to talking about dealing with compatibility then? And we'll hit that when we get to it. So we like to try and research these episodes a little bit. And even though we, we put together some stuff in the past, I had asked you to Go ahead and research and see, you know, if you could find any other ideas for ways to deal with desire gaps in relationships. And you kind of came back to me completely fed up on this topic. I'm not saying there isn't anything good out there because there is some, some being the keyword, good stuff. Uh, but a lot of it is just crazy shit. 
Um, just, just whack. Uh, I mean, things like, you know, the best thing you can do is just go cheat on your partner, um, and don't tell them, uh, if you are the lower, uh, sex drive person, right? Like if your partner wants more sex than you, uh, too much intimacy is the problem. It kills desire. And, you know, if, if you want less sex, stop having sex with your partner so you can like train them to want less sex and, and things like, um, you know, this whole sexual desire gap thing is really not important. You need to focus on other things in your life. Like I actually read an entire article that was supposed to be like it's entire in its entirety. It was supposed to be talking about how to fix your sexual incompatibility. And once you read it, basically what it said is, is that just ignore it and pay attention. It's not important. It's not important. Um, So those are some of the crazy things that I was hearing. You made a super funny face when, when I said the thing about training your partner as far as... It doesn't even make sense. Like, I... I Whatever. <laughs> uh, all right. I think it's important to, you know, recognize how to try and, and make sure that you're so compatible. What you get in a relationship, you're not sexually compatible. Your sexual desires aren't compatible either. A little bit or a lot. Let's talk about what you can actually do. Um. Well, first of all, you started talking about sex and the meaning behind it. And the thing is, is that sex means different things to different people. And I think the first sort of step is acknowledging that there's a sexual gap. That's the first step in any process is acknowledging, right? And the next is understanding what sex is to each person. And I think in acknowledging that there's a gap, we get back to gender roles here, but I think that can be difficult if you're the man for a lot of men that I've talked to. Like part of the reason that stuff doesn't get resolved is because they don't want to admit that there's a gap there because they're supposed to be the higher sex drive person. So acknowledging it is a big part of the solution. Yeah. So no matter where you fall in that spectrum, being willing to acknowledge it. The next is understanding what sex actually means. Like, does it mean love and affection? Uh, is it something that you tolerate because somebody wants you to do it? Or is it something to escape your problems? Or is it something that is just physically fun? Like, what does sex mean to you? And if you have started associating sex with being something like a way to escape other issues, or it's something that you just tolerate for someone else, you might need to evaluate those things before even going any further. Okay. Can you just talk about that for a little bit more so I understand more of what you're talking about? So if you're tolerating sex in your relationship, basically you're using it as kind of like a bartering tool. Like I'm giving sex to someone because I want them to stay committed to me. Or I know if I have sex with my partner today, tomorrow they'll go get me flowers. Like if you're doing it just because it's something that you tolerate, even if it's something that you just tolerate for the factor of wanting to make your partner happy, it can make your desire to want to have sex even less because basically you're making it a job all the time. So realizing what sex means to each person in the relationship. So kind of like I was talking about a minute ago. Yes. That's why I said you you jumped ahead of me. Okay. (laughs) All right. And so, and, and I think it's important, you know, 
again, to realize that these, these differences exist in every relationship, right? And there is always going to be a gap. And there's nothing wrong with your partner having a lower sex drive or a higher sex drive. It, or, or with yourself, right? Or with yourself having a lower sex drive or a higher sex drive. Now, that may may be an you know that may be an incompatibility but that isn't because there's anything wrong with anybody there different people have different levels of sex drives like you said there are some some more typically gender oriented differences but there's also a lot of deviations from those you know those 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 typical things um and you know and and it's important not to either blame yourself or blame your partner or think it's some kind of a problem you know that there is uh, an incompatibility there. And not to think that it's a sign of there being anything else wrong with your relationship, then they're just being an incompatibility or a difference in the levels of desire. Yeah. Which kind of is like the next thing is like, you need not to blame or shame your partner for who they are. Like each person's going to be different and it's not, it's not something to make someone feel bad about. So, you know, it's, it's not about, uh, who's wrong in this situation. And I think that's what a lot of people fall into is this idea of you're either wrong for wanting something or you're wrong for not wanting it. And it's not a matter of wrong. It's a matter of difference. And with difference comes the necessity to like compromise on these situations. And I, I find I find compromise to be an interesting topic when you talk about this because on the one hand, it's so necessary, right? And any anything where you have a difference in your relationship that you can compromise, I mean, you can't always compromise, but that you can compromise is important to make it work. But I always, even knowing how important it is, I always feel weird about compromising when it comes to sex. And especially as a person who tends to be, you know, on the higher end of that sex drive. Like, I especially always feel weird with with somebody agreeing to have sex more than they necessarily want to have it. Okay. So what I'll say about the compromise is you shouldn't be compromising and doing things that you absolutely, absolutely are not okay doing. So if you're not okay having sex with somebody at all, don't have sex with that person. But if it's something like, for me, I would prefer to have sex once a week my partner would prefer to have sex twice a week. Let's compromise in the middle. That's different. How do you have sex 1.5 times a week? Yeah. Um, <laughs> is that like a half bath? That is like a quickie. A, a quickie. Okay, That's go quickie. ahead. Um, so there's a difference between compromising that way and being like, I am completely not okay with this activity. I am completely not okay with having sex with this person and compromising having sex with this person or doing an activity that you're completely against. It's sort of the same thing as like negotiating a BDSM scene. It's one thing to do activities that are not necessarily your favorite activity, but not breaking your limits and boundaries. Well, and I think there's a couple things that you can do with that, right? You can, when you're talking about, but it's not just compromising necessarily on the, uh, amount of sex. It can be on the type of sex, Right. Do something other than PIV. Eat the pussy. Like, seriously, guys. Like, um, I know you're laughing that I put that in there. But seriously, um, a lot of people have this preconceived notion, usually penis havers, that sex is I stick my penis in something. 
And sex is a lot of different activities. So if you want your dick sucked, you want to stick your dick in something, be willing to do something else for it. Like that's what a compromise is. Be willing to eat some pussy. Be willing to finger your girlfriend. Um, To understand how anybody cannot want to eat pussy, but that's just me. (laughs) That's you. I know. A couple things that we've done with our current partner that have, have, you know, helped out in certain areas is first off length of sex, right? So our partner now does not have sex for as long as we do. Yeah. She says we have marathon sex. So like for her, sometimes she'll say, Hey, like I want to mess around, but can we just do something for like 15 minutes? Yeah. And we're kind of like, okay. And generally we'll do something with her for 15 minutes and then we'll go do something else. So that's a compromise, like how long you're having sex. And also, um, you talked about what activities you're doing, but I think there's other ways you can compromise as well. Like just in dealing with, with the realities of how people get turned on. So like our partner will sometimes not be interested and then watch us doing stuff and then she'll get interested and hop in and hop in. Right. So, that is, you know, something that we've kind of discussed and given her more leeway to, you know, like, hey, if you are like, don't start out and then you're getting turned on, like definitely hop in. Um, we will tag you in. And the other thing is, and I don't know if this necessarily falls under compromise when you're talking about types of sex, like especially when you're talking about BDSM, some people have a tendency to get more turned on if there's BDSM activity involved. And I've seen this with with quite a few of our our past partners as well, including our current one, where if you just ask her to have sex, she's not necessarily going to be in the mood. But if she's involved in a scene and the scene turns to sex, she's a lot more likely to be interested at that point. Yeah. And that's sort of the, you know, broadening your range, like opening up ideas for what makes sex more desirable for that partner. And I think kink is one of those areas that really does help with the partner who is the um, responsive partner, like they're being tied up or they're being bound, they're being, uh, you know, things are being done to them. Oh, this is sexy time. Now I'm horny. So that can that can be a very big um, help in that area. I feel like a lot of people that we've dealt with who are less sexual or more responsive, that it takes a lot less to get them feeling up for seeing than it does to get them feeling up for sex. And another thing that I've noticed on that end is if there's a power exchange relationship involved, and now this, it depends on the people certainly, but if there's a power exchange relationship involved, I've seen people that are, they may not necessarily be interested in sex, but if there's a power exchange thing there and they're told that they're going to do X, Y, and Z, that being told what to do can be enough of a turn on to get them in the mood for sex. But that's very, that's very person dependent. I do want to throw yeah. that out there. I think there's that aspect of, well, where does that come from? It comes from what makes me horny is pleasing somebody else. So it gets into that whole idea of or submitting. Yeah. Or being submissive makes me horny. So it gets into that whole idea of how can you compromise on these things in a way that is fulfilling both people and is working for both people. So it might be, I really get turned on if someone bosses me around and tells me to do this. Um, so it's making those little little changes and compromises. So, you know, and that leads, 
really well, I think, into talking about spontaneous versus responsive desire and how to, maybe how to, if you're the more spontaneous partner, how to kind of get your partner who may be responsive and they may have a decent sex drive, but they may be more on the responsive end uh, into things like what you can do to get them turned on because their minds aren't just automatically on sex. I lost my train of thought. I had something else there, but if you want to pick up on that, let me think for a minute and I'll try and find it. Um, I think that comes down to sort of trying different things. First of all, like if you doing the same thing over and over again is not working, which might be, Hey baby, want to have sex. If that's not working for you, try a different approach. I found my train of thought, which goes right into what you were saying, which is you need to know what turns your partner on. So, and in order for that, they need to know they need to know what turns them on themselves and they need to communicate that to you. Um, so it's very important to figure out what turns you on and to communicate that to your partners, especially if you're that more responsive desire person. So like for you, not that it takes anything <laughs> to get you going. I know that me acting submissive or playing with your sides or pretty much just looking at you, but those, those things specifically. Those really up the ante for me. Yeah. Um, and you know, I know like for our other partner, I know that for her, it's really mostly either watching us do stuff or even better getting her involved in a scene. So I think it's incredibly important to figure out what turns your partner on, or I don't even think you need to figure it out yourself. I think they need to figure it out. They need to tell you what it is that, that gets them turned on. What are some other, like, like, what are some ways you can try and get somebody turned on though? Or maybe that you can try and, and see if they like and add that to your yes, this is what part of what turns this person on so that I know in the future. Well, first, try different types of body touch. Um, for some people, blowing in an ear is really, you know, something that's going to be hot. For somebody else, it might be, you know, rubbing legs. So try different types of mild touch. When I say that, like, don't just grab somebody's breast or, or, or vagina or penis, um, like actually work on different areas that might turn somebody on. Like you mentioned my sides, my sides are not really what people would consider like an erogenous zone. Yeah. But it, that's cause they don't know you, but yeah. Like once you know me, it isn't an erogenous zone. Um, so Try playing with that. And savvy partners will play with Cassie's sides in public where it looks completely <laughs> innocent and drive her fucking crazy. And it's hilarious. Anyway, back to topic. Um, so. Are you blushing? Yes. How are you blushing? Because you're making me feel weird about my, 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 my erogenous zone. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's take the time to really explore your partner's body. Um, if you're kinky, try some different ways of incorporating kink into your sexual activities or do kink without sex first and bring things into it. Um, sometimes people who are trying to do kinky sexual stuff right off the bat, try to make it super, super sexual. So maybe like work on kind of, uh, slowly moving into things. Yeah, and I think you can play with that from the from the top or the bottom, even if maybe you're not necessarily going to scene. But you know, but if you're the top, like I said earlier, like maybe telling them what you're going to have them do might put them in a good frame of mind. If you're the higher sex drive person, you're the bottom. Maybe telling them how you'd like to serve them sexually might help get them in the mood. Um, 
I mean, dirty talk, right? Which kind of goes along with that. But dirty talk can be a big thing. Talking to somebody throughout the day, either by text or on the phone and telling them what you'd like to do when they get home or what you'd like to have them do to you. Um, What else? I know this might sound very repetitive with what people say as far as like how to physically please your partner, but maybe do a masturbation session with your partner. And why I say this is because a lot of times when people masturbate, they don't necessarily just go for like sticking things in their parts or or jacking themselves off. They'll like play with themselves and rub themselves. And you can learn what might be a sexual touch or something that might turn them on or get them ramped up by watching them. Like if you watch me masturbate, I play with my sides. And I would hope that talking to kinky people, we wouldn't have to reiterate the importance of foreplay, but I'm going to do it anyways. Make out with your partners. Like I feel like people who have been together for a long period of time, stop making out with their partners. Like do that thing that you did when you hid under the bleachers at school and were trying not to get in trouble, do that with your partner. And I think that's something that'll be, you know, will increase that sexual desire there. Making sex a priority. Okay. Yeah. That's definitely a big thing. Yeah. Making (laughs) sex a priority. And this isn't, I think just a big thing if you are on the lower sex drive in and, you know, making it a priority to happen. I think even if you're on the higher sex drive in, like, you know, a lot of times life just gets in the way and you wind up not taking care of your sexual needs and doing what you need to do. And I mean, and we're, I don't want to say classic examples of this, but you know, when you look at how much sex we have, when we make sure there's time just available versus when we let ourselves get you know, overwhelmed with either touch of flavor stuff or life stuff or shit going on with this house, <laughs> right? Like our, our, the amount of sex that we naturally have is tends to be way up here, but we can very easily let our schedules get overwhelmed where we're not making it important and it's falling down here and we're unhappy with that. Yeah. So if it's not necessarily, um, desire. Cause sometimes the thing is, is that this desire gap can also just be a life gap. So if you're feeling overwhelmed and you're feeling like you don't have time for these things, take a look at your schedule. Like, are you going to the gym five days a week? Plus you've got that Pilates class. Plus you've got a cooking class and you're, uh, got six or seven other activities that you're doing. Plus your full-time job maybe you need to cut back on something. Maybe you need to find somewhere in that schedule that a time to be able to connect with your partner and be intimate. It's something that I haven't been incredibly fond of historically, but I've gotten more fond of as life has gone on is, is, is scheduling time for sex. Um, and for me, it's not necessarily having to schedule time for sex as having to schedule alone time without other responsibilities. And that will naturally fall into sex. And that's where I think, you know, you can kind of get a change of viewpoint of, oh, I'm scheduling sex. This is boring to, no, I'm just blocking out time where I'm not going to do anything else. Yeah. So I do coaching and I work with a lot of clients. And one of the things that I talk to with my couples is the importance of taking time and having scheduled intimacy time. And when I say intimacy, I don't mean schedule sex time, scheduled time to 
cuddle with your partner, be around your partner, and not have anything else that is a distraction and let things develop as they they you know would, but putting that time aside so that way they can develop. And I mean, there's some ways you can work to take care of yourself as well, right? Masturbating being mainly what I'm talking about for the higher. See, and I'm always I'm always torn on this because while I will masturbate when I need to, I have to say it doesn't do nearly as much for me as actually having sex with a person. Yeah, so a lot of resources will tell you just go masturbate. And the thing is, Definitely masturbate if you're the higher sex drive partner, just so you can kind of scratch that, scratch that itch function, not eat your partner's head off. Um, but the reality is, is that's probably not going to fulfill all of your need. Um, there is, as you were saying earlier, there's other things that are involved in sex. What are your feelings, your intimacy needs, other things that fall into what sex is that are not being met by just making yourself orgasm. Well, and even just getting away from what else is involved in sex to me, well, it's just not nearly as much fun. <laughs> and then there's that. So, um, and if you're, you know, on the, the less desiring end, we talked before about finding what works for you. And I think that once you do find what works for you, it's good to tell your partner. You definitely want to tell your partner, but you don't always want to rely on your partner to do that for you either. If you know, you know, that there's a, a, a desire gap and you're trying to make an effort to get that to a more compatible place. Once you know what works for you, you can do those things. Some of them yourself to get you worked up, especially if it's something like, you know, there's going to be the opportunity to have sex with your partner and you want to have sex, getting yourself to the point of, okay, I'm going to do what turns me on before interacting with my partner is helpful. So if you're one of those people who I have to be clean to be turned on, I have to take a shower before fucking do that, do that in preparation of that. I need to listen to music. I need to watch porn. I need to whatever, whatever it takes for you. or Or I need to just detach from all the other stressors that are going on in my life. I need some quiet time, some time without the kids bugging me for a little bit, whatever it is, but taking that and doing that in preparation to get you in the mood. Um, so that way you're not relying on your partner to try to create these scenarios and fix these things for you. And we were talking about about masturbating you're the more desiring partner, but I think it's important to masturbate when you're the less desiring partner. The longer you go without doing anything, a lot of times the less interested once it gets past a certain point, right? Like the first couple of days you may get kind of like more and more, but then after that, like the longer you let it go, the less interested you get. I saw something recently on Facebook that was like from, from, from some sex educator, and I can't remember who, unfortunately, that was like, uh, you know, like basically like, do you have a low sex drive and you want to have a higher sex drive? Like the cure is to have more sex, like make yourself have more sex. And this kind of goes along with that idea of, of, of masturbating more, right. Or having more sex with the, the intention of it making you more interested in sex. I think that works better for some people than others though. And you kind of got to know where you fall on that. And I think that falls into that whole, um, sex looks like a lot of work when you're not reaping the benefits of it. So like as a low desire partner, 
um, you know, just speaking with our partner, like, I've got to take a shower. I've got to get myself, you know, worked up. I've got to do this. And it seems like a lot of like work. But if you have an orgasm here or there, you're like, wait a minute, that work has a hell of a payoff. But the longer that you wait, like you start forgetting how awesome that payoff is to actually do things. And also just chemically, your body forgets. Like um, you got to remember that sex messes with our endorphins, messes with our serotonin, all those things. So when you have orgasms and you do this stuff, your body's like, hey, this is awesome. But if you haven't had it in a while, your body's like, yeah, it's a lot of work. And I think while you're doing all this is important, you know, we're talking about how to deal with this, uh, to keep in mind kind of the mindset of, of trying, trying to have compassion and understand how the other person feels in this situation, you know, cause like, as, as somebody who tends to be the more desiring partner, a lot of times, it, you know, it's easy to feel like you're being pushy or trying to get somebody to do, they don't want to do. And that's a really icky feeling a lot of times to be, you know, trying to, at least for me, but, but trying to feeling like you're pushing somebody for sex that they're not interested in. Yeah. It, it, that sucks. Like, uh, and, and it, you can also feel like rejected too, right? Like if you're somebody who connects sex with being desired and, you know, affection in your relationship and things like that, you can, you can feel rejected and like kind of down on like, what's wrong with me that your partner doesn't want to, uh, doesn't want to have more sex with you. Yeah. You can start to internalize it as a problem with yourself versus your partner's, you know, level of desire. You can start to kind of take that in and think, there's something wrong with you. So be people, be compassionate towards where your partner is coming from. And on your part, you know, as we said before, don't be blamey, don't be nasty, but try to explain things from your perspective in either a non-pushy way or non-abrasive way. And if you are, you know, able, try to, you know, use it as a way to connect with your partner rather than showing like rejection towards your partner. If you're the less desiring partner, right? Like you can feel like your partner is pushy or they're, you know, so there's a lot of baggage on both ends of this. You know what I mean? Like, or you don't care about their feelings or, or things like that. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of baggage on both ends of this. And it's important to realize that your partner is likely to have feelings, you know, about what you think of them or how you're taking either wanting more sex or wanting less sex and to realize that your partner is probably carrying that around and to be compassionate. Yeah. Take, like, taking a gentle approach with your partner on what your needs and desires are and trying to explain things in a way that is not abrasive is very helpful. So that way, you know, they can, they can sort of deal with it and not feel as bad because they probably are carrying something. So let's talk about non-monogamy. I think that non-monogamy is a very effective solution to dealing with, especially when you have a otherwise uh, an incompatibility that would otherwise probably be very problematic in the relationship. And I think that non-monogamy is, is one of the ways that you can, maybe one of the only ways that you can overcome a very severe uh, incompatibility in, in, in the desire level in a relationship. So the thing is, is that like the vast majority of Americans identify as monogamous. And the problem there is, is that those people identify that way, but a large percentage of them are cheating on their partners. 
And that is not a constructive way of dealing with the issue. So um, allowing non-monogamy to be an option can be helpful because if you're just cheating on your partner, there is a lot of damage that can be done as far as the trust in your relationship. Basically, basically the the cost to benefit with cheating is if you don't get, if you don't get caught, there's no downfall. If you do get caught, it is like the nuclear option. Like it's 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 horrible. Like bad things happen. Cheating causes problems I think even if you don't get caught. And let I just want to be very clear that like we're not like not monogamy pushers, right? If monogamy works for you, that's great. What I think the problem is is that monogamy doesn't work for a lot of people who are doing monogamy. Yeah, so that's kind of what I was getting to is like cheating is not a better option than non-monogamy. Yeah, and I don't think we need to go, you know, this is an episode on how to open up a relationship or how to run non-monogamy. And I think that for the most part, it's it's pretty pretty obvious on the face of it how non-monogamy can help in a situation where there's a big desire gap in a relationship, right? You, the, the higher sex partner can go out, get that need fulfilled elsewhere, the higher sex drive partner, without putting a lot of pressure on the lower sex drive person to get it done. You know, it, it can make situations work that wouldn't work otherwise. Just, I think it's important to realize too that you can still run into, as we said, desire problems in poly situations and especially in group situations, but you have a lot more options to uh, to work that out and bring that to a place where it's going to work and everybody's going to be getting their needs met. One more thing that I think is useful with the whole conversation about non-monogamy is that if it is a clash in desires of a particular kind, being able to find that elsewhere, such as kink, we like to play really hard with people and our partner might be a very soft player, you know, that sort of thing. Um, being able to find those things elsewhere, other activities, things that you can't get within your relationship. I like to top and I don't top you. I mean, so yeah, yeah, absolutely. So not just, again, not just the amount, but the kind. Let's talk about one of your greatest ideas ever that we have implemented in our own house that we have found to be very helpful and that other people that we've shared this idea with have found to be very helpful as well. It's our desire gap map. I was uh, at an event a few years ago, actually, and I was talking to a poly household and uh, the conversation came up that they had a chart. This household that you were talking about, they had had it, but it was very sex focused. So it was just, I think they did have the amount of desire, but it wasn't different activities. It was just, I am the ex horny today was the, was the thing. Am I right? Yeah. So there was the ex horny. And also what I didn't like about it was there wasn't a large difference. It was sort of like a, I'm horny being like at the top and then the middle horny and then like not horny at all. So there was kind of just like a gate, like there was kind of just three gauges of the, the amount and it was just how horny or how not horny. So we, and by we, I mostly mean Cassie, um, came up with a, we call it a desire map. And it's a chart that's in our house. And uh, it has been incredibly helpful. And I think we're actually going to make our blog post this month on this topic, uh, on how to make your own. But can you just give a overview for people so they can get an idea of what we're talking about? So how it sort of works is it has, um, you know, each person has their own little section 
and they have a section for what they're in the mood for giving versus receiving. And there's different rankings as far as how much they really want it. Like, I'm okay with this activity versus give it to me now and a couple other steps in the middle. Yeah, it's like maybe okay, yes, and oh my God, now I think yeah. is is the... Yeah, so um, you can uh, you know gauge the activity and if you want to give it or receive it. And we have a bunch of different activities for, that are sexual, kink, so that way you can put in the giving or receiving and you can even have the same activity such as like oral sex. I can list it as I'm really, really in the mood to give it but I'm not really in the mood to receive it. So you can you can kind of gauge it. We have it on a magnetic blackboard. And, uh, you know, these, you've got across the bottom, you've got, you know, the uh, a section for person, each person is given receive, and then you have the four levels going up. And then we have little, uh, like, clip art icons on magnetic buttons, and you put the buttons where on the chart that you want. And when we put this out, we'll, we'll include those icons and everything so you can do your own. And... The way that we do it is uh, each person, you know, who lives in our house keeps their button up permanently. And then other partners who come and go have, you know, buttons and they'll put the buttons up when they come and, and take, take them, them down, down when they leave. leave. But it's been, it's really helpful for a lot of reasons when there is a desire gap in a relationship, especially I think when you have a larger one than you and I. I think it's also very useful as far as figuring out sort of what people want to do. Uh both people could be extremely horny, but be looking for two different types of play. And the reason I, I think it's helpful when you're dealing with big gaps in desire is, you know, we were talking earlier about how when you're the higher person, you can feel like you're pressuring. When you're the lower desire person, you can feel like you're being pressured. But the great thing about this is people come, they put their pins up, and you don't have to be as the higher person, constant, higher sex drive person constantly asking, hey, you know, are you up for sex? Would it be okay today? What would this be for? You don't have to ask that all the time. So you don't have to feel like you're pressuring. You look at the board, you see what they're in the mood for. And if they're moved for something, you do it. And same thing if you're the lower sex drive partner, you don't have to constantly be asked. You put your pins up and you go from there. And it has been a huge help to us. Like I said, I mean, it improves just our, our sex life personally, but especially when we have a lower sex drive partner in the house, it is an enormous, enormous help. And I think that kind of goes to sort of the last thing to kind of keep in mind with this whole desire gap thing is that sometimes it's a it's it's a missed opportunity, like people's differences in what they want to do. And I think the map really helps with those missed opportunities because you're able to just kind of check and see what what what's right there as far as what they want to do. Yeah. So Go to the show notes at touchofflavor.com forward slash zero one three, and I'll put a link where you can sign up. And when we put that blog post out later this month, we'll give you instructions, photos, you know, the templates we use for the pins, the rules that we use, like how we, how the board operates, all that stuff so that you can make your own. Everybody that we've done this with has found it to be an enormous help. And we'd be really happy to get it out to you guys. We actually had another blog post planned for this upcoming month and we decided to scrap it and do this so that you guys can, uh, can get this stuff, you know, somewhat in close to time. And when we, when we put out this episode. So I think, I think we're about to wrap up. We've gone through everything. Let's talk about if none of that other stuff works or if there's something else going on before we wrap up. Well, first, if you want to have more desire and you're not having it and you've tried these things, you might want to check on yourself medically. 
like go to your doctor, check your hormones, things like that. It could be something medically going on. Like it could be stress. It could be birth control. It could be, I mean, I, you know, those I think are the big ones, medications that you're on. Yeah. It it could be lots of different things. Um, You might have some kind of illness going on. You could simply just need more exercise to kind of get your, your body up and running, but maybe talk to your doctor, see what's going on. If you really, really are trying to get your, your sex drive up and you can't do anything with all these sort of tips to, to change that, you might want to talk to your doctor. Yeah. I do want to say, I want to address stress. Like, since you actually just said that, like, just be aware, it doesn't matter if you're higher sex drive person, lower sex drive person, stress kills sex drive. I'm not just talking about like mental stress, like physical stress, like not taking care of yourself, being exhausted, you know, not feeling well, feeling, you know, I mean, being exhausted essentially, you know, so taking care of yourself can lead to an increased sex drive, whether you're talking about getting more sleep, whether you're talking about um, improving your diet, whether you're talking about exercise, weightlifting increases testosterone, which increases your sex drive. So, you know, there are different things you can do to take care of yourself physically and take care of yourself emotionally and reduce your stress. And those will improve your sex drive. And if it is something emotional and there is something in your past or things like that, uh, that is, you know, where you've had some kind of traumatic experience or you have not necessarily even trauma, but just some kind of inner struggle that you're having. Yeah. Inner struggle or, or problems around sex, or I guess ideas like, you know, preconceptions around sex that are keeping you from enjoying sex and and affecting your sex life. You can definitely see a sex therapist. Anything else before we just talk about if it just doesn't work, period. Is there anything else you can think of? First off, if it's not working and you've tried a bunch of things, don't necessarily just toss your relationship. You might want to seek help from somebody who can help you more, something like a sex therapist or seeing a relationship coach like me who might be able to help guide you from getting from where you are to a better place, um, might have more helpful suggestions and can kind of get you through that. So before tossing a relationship, if it's a good relationship everywhere else and you're not like just at the point where you just want to give up, maybe seek professional help. Sometimes we have to ask other people to help us out. So everything else fails and there's just a big sexual compatibility and people just are not getting their needs met. Yeah, that you've gotten it to a place where everyone's bare bare needs or like bare minimum needs are being met. That you may have to address if that relationship is right for you. And that can be very difficult because generally by the time you get to a place, you know, because you can't judge people's sex drives very well up front, by the time you get to a place where this has become a problem, you're generally very involved. But I will say, because I don't want to end this on a depressing note, I I think it's important to be able to consider that if you need to consider that. But I will also say that I think that that is not often the case. I think that the vast majority of the time, it can, you know, things can be addressed to bring things close enough and level to a point that there is compatibility and it is working for people in a relationship. And I think that that should be the end goal if you can get there. Yeah. And if you are listening to this and you're at a place where you're like, I'm almost at that place where things are not going to work and I'm, I'm about ready to give up. Definitely, definitely try implementing these things and uh, we'll link to my coaching page and you guys can reach out and, and give me a call. Thanks for listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, where we're building relationships outside of the box. Got a question about kink, power exchange, or open relationships that you've been holding on to for years? This is the place to ask it. 
Submit your question at atouchofflavor.com slash ask or leave us a voicemail at 833-ASK-TOF1. 